I want to use a... Um, I want to use a story in Mark chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them, open them up, Mark chapter 5. If you've got your uh, devices, you can power those up as well. If you don't have either, that's okay. We're going to have an amazing uh, Bible up here for you, a little digital translation. We're going to go through this particular story that we see here in Mark chapter 5. And I want to use it as a template to see this man's freedom as starting to be in turmoil, starting to be in uh, suffering and in difficulty and ending in absolute health and wholeness and in his right mind. And I want to use it as a template and a guide, some sort of a map so that we can also find the same freedom. Because if this man can be healed and freed, I believe it's possible for you and I to be freed and healed today. Amen. All right, here it is, Mark chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when they saw Jesus had stepped out into the boat, a man came up from the tombs, and he had an unclean spirit. Verse 3, it says, he lived, this man lived among the tombs, so that no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains. Verse 4, it said that they had bound him with shackles and chains, and even wrenched him with chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him anymore. Verse 5, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he always was crying out, cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran, fell down before him, and he cried with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Verse eight, he said, he was saying these things because Jesus said, come out of him, you unclean spirit. Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And the man begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs were feeding on the hillside nearby and they begged him, send us to the pigs so that we can enter in them. And Jesus, verse 13, Jesus gave him permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herds numbering about 2,000. Say that's a lot of issues. Right, so here, here, here we have uh, number 2,000 rushing down. And here we have the herd rushing down into the steep embankment into the sea, drowning and dying. Verse 14, the herdsmen of the pigs told everyone in the city and the country. People came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had a lesion, and now he was clothed and in his right mind. And those who had described what had happened to him and also the pigs. Verse 17, so then they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. You're just too much for us. Verse 18, he was getting in the boat, Jesus was, when the man who is now in his right mind came up to him and he asked to join him. Verse 19, Jesus did not permit him, but he said, go home to your friends so you can tell them all that the Lord has done for you and how much mercy I have had on you. Verse 20, and when he went away, he proclaimed, this man proclaimed to Decapolis, that's over 10 cities in the area. He proclaimed how much Jesus had done for him. And come on, I need your help. Last three words, read them out with me. And everyone marveled. Everyone marveled marveled. You and I would marvel too if we were that man. Sometimes we read through through scripture and we say, man, I don't know um, what this man been through, but he has been through a lot. We see this and we see it almost as a, unfortunately, a historical event. 
something that's happened in the past, some guy that got free who had some issues a long time ago, but we don't really account for the personal acquaintance and the experience of this man's life today. And what God wants to do through his word is not just read it as a historical account, but he wants us to read it so that we can get into the story and find the reality that sets in there that I am the man that Jesus came to rescue. So here's what I want you to do as we read through the story and pick apart and discover how this man became free. I want you to put yourself in the story and just ask God to deliver you of some of the things that you might be struggling with, some of the things that restrict you, some of the lies that you have going on, some of the things that have hurt you, issues in the past, maybe some things that you're struggling over in the future. No matter what it is, I want to use this man's life and how he encountered Jesus as a moment where we can have some of these experiences yet today. Now, when I read this man's story in Mark chapter five, I don't know of anybody else in the entire Bible who has suffered as much as this man. I mean, he was turmoil inside. He had lies going on inside of his head. He had destruction inside of his soul. I mean, to, to say that man had some issues would be a massive understatement. To say that he went from hell on earth right here and encountered some of the darkest things would be an understatement. I can't think of anybody paralleled with as much destruction inside of their life as this man. Now, I know what you're thinking, because you're probably like a Bible scholar and you're like thinking, hey, there's someone else that suffered just like he did aside from Jesus. And that was Job. Job from the Old Testament said, man, he went through a lot. He got a lot of stuff ripped through him, his family, his possessions, his wealth and everything else. Let me make a quick correlation between the two. Job is in the Old Testament. The Old Testament resides from this overarching theme that whenever you're blessed by God, whenever you have God's favor and when God's presence resides, something comes of it, which is physical possession, prosperity in your possessions and prosperity in your surroundings. Look at Solomon. He was blessed. Everybody knew it. And he had a lot to show for it. But when you move to the New Testament, there's a little bit of a focus that starts to change and shift. Jesus says, yes, you're, you're blessed and your favor, and yes, I want to prosper you, but he doesn't do so with the physical possessions. He aims his message and he aims his focus more on the condition of our heart. And so you see there's a shift from the Old Testament to say, hey, I want, to, I want possession and blessings here, so I want blessings and possessions in here. And so now let me just bring you back to Job. Job suffered, he definitely did with his physical body and his surrounding, but God restored him tenfold. Come on, somebody. Now, if we can imagine this man in Mark chapter five, we're believing that God wants to really do some work today and restore us tenfold in the physical possession of prosperity right here. Who believes that? Who's ready for it? Who wants to see some of that stuff come to fruition? And when we walk through this, I wanna just kind of step-by-step, step, take some things out, figure out what that looks like in our life so that we can find the same freedom that this man did. Let's start in verse number two. It says that Jesus came and stepped out on the boat and he caught a man who was living among the tombs. This man was living among the dead. He got kicked out of his family, kicked out of all the relationships, kicked out of society, isolated, and literally living among the dead. And then it says that this man came up to meet with him and there was a man with an unclean spirit, an unclean spirit. Spirit. Now, I don't want to assume that your, your life has been or is right now as bad off as this man's, 
But sometimes whenever we see this, we're thinking, man, yes, that man definitely had an unclean spirit. Good thing I don't. And, and you may be even arguing, Ryan, how can you say that I even have a partial of an unclean spirit? Because I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus and I'm saved and I gave my life to God a long time ago. So there's no way I can have an unclean spirit. And the only, the only remark I would give to you to that is, is there's probably two things happening in your life. Uh, if you don't have an unclean spirit and you're in good shape, you're either A, Jesus, or you're B, you're in heaven right now, and you're looking down on us. It, either way, you're in good shape. But for the rest of us, I just want to go on record to say, hey, there's some issues in our life that we just need to allow God to clean up. Note that I didn't say we need to clean up. Because we've been trying to clean our lives up for a long time. There's been issues in our life historically. Just go all the way back and read through the Old Testament. Israel has been trying to clean up their life for a long time now and it's not worked well. But when we let God do the cleaning, when we let him do the detox of the soul, when we let him destroy the lions in our life, then we find freedom. Because who the sun sets free will be free indeed. And that's the kind of stuff that here we see in this man. We, we see he had an unclean spirit. But, but some of us would say, well, I'm, I'm not really sure that I have an unclean spirit. Or I don't really think that there's that many issues going on. I don't really think I have darkness. Or I don't know that I have lions in my life that are destroying things, that are killing things. But, but before we can change reality in our life, we first have to face it. So one of the assessments that we maybe need to do is just take a good inventory of the soul. Look at your life. Just take a step back. How is your marriage? How's your relationships? What comes out whenever tension arises? Now I just want to take a second to just caveat on something that we're all participating in, which is a season of fasting and praying. As a family, I don't know about you, I don't know how, it, how it's been going, but we started this last week. Now, if you're new to this space and you're new to this area and uh, you're just coming in and maybe missed last week, you can jump in and join Fasting and Praying at any point in time. You don't have to you know, do any backlogging of any coin, just jump right in. Uh, but here, here's the thing, for some of us, we started last week doing the Fasting and Praying and it's unanimous. Whenever the entire family says, hey, we're going to do some fasting and praying. We're going to believe for some big things. We're going to hope for more promises. We're going to sense God's presence more. And day one and then day two hit. <laughs> Come on, anybody, just by a show of hands. Did some stuff hit the fan for you? You're believing for some good things and you're like, what happened? I'm exhausted already. We haven't even started yet. Like you, you, you're starting to have tension with, with people that you don't, that you usually get along with. Some anger is coming up and you want to break pencils like you're in school again. You're like, I don't know. I don't even know what's going on, but I got some issues. Here's what's happening. Prayer and fasting, when we do it corporately in unison, in the same heart, there's, a, there's just an atmosphere and a culture that God will surface. Note that I didn't say Satan. God will surface our sin so that we can face him. He'll show us the lions that we have so that we can invite God into that moment right then, right there. God, I didn't think this was an issue. Clearly it is because you're surfacing it up. It's, it's kind of like doing a, a, a spring cleaning of your house. You get through the basement, you get through the closet, you get through your junk drawer and you think, oh, I didn't know that was in there. 
I was looking for that two weeks ago. I didn't know that was an issue. I didn't even know we possessed it. I bought nine of them yesterday. You know what I'm saying? Like this is what happens. You just get rid of some old stuff that don't belong and sort of, sort of the season that we're in, you find sin coming up right before you and say, I need to get rid of this. And instead of you being like, okay, that means I need to be more disciplined. I need to be harder on myself. I need to get that self-help book that everyone keeps talking about. I need to do a seminar and I need to... Instead of going that route, you allow the sin and the things and the weaknesses and, and the things that you struggle with loud on the surface so that you can face them and then just invite God into it. The shame that starts to come over, invite God in. The anger that starts to reside, invite God in. The weakness that you start to lead with, invite God in. The judgment that so quickly comes, invite God in. The, the criticism that, that just nags at your, your marriage, invite God into that. Because what happens if you don't, they become shackles and they start to restrict you and bind you up. Check out verse four. It says, for he had often been bound with shackles, this man, and had been wrenched with chains. He was bound with shackles. Shackles are literally an element for your physical body to restrict you, to keep you right here. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to keep you right here. He, he, he tempts you and persuades you into something that seems a little bit pleasuresome. Hey, that seems like I should endeavor into it. Hey, I'll just kind of dip my foot in. It's not really that big a deal. It's just one drink. It's just one conversation with this person. It's platonic. It's, it's really okay. I know my boundaries. I know my limits. And then you dabble in it a little bit. And then all of a sudden, Satan just starts to put shackles on you and he restricts you. I want you to look for areas of your life that you're not seeing growth. What areas of your heart, what areas of your mind that you just don't grow anymore? You were once passion, passionate about your marriage. You just don't really want to work on it anymore. You, uh, my spouse wants to work on it, but you don't. Where has complacency come in? The difference, the, the opposite, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. And God has allowed us a spirit of love that it resides inside of us. And if it's not growing, if it's not manifesting some sort of multiplication, then something's wrong. You look at children, when they don't grow, there's an issue. When we don't go with, grow with our physical body, we go to the doctors. The same thing happens with our souls is we get restricted by shackles and chains because sin, it, it entangles you, it restricts you. And what happens to muscles that don't get moved very often? They get apathetic. And then all of a sudden when you don't move, you get more sedentary. You don't get sedentary, you get lazy, you sit, you sleep, you don't do anything, you get sick, you get ill, and you die. That's the point of sin. Sin leads you to death. It kills areas of your soul. And, and this is where Paul comes in and says, listen, church, don't be ignorant of Satan's schemes. You, you have to know and realize what he's after. You need to know his agenda. I got this picture whenever I was preparing for the message of uh, two sporting teams coming together. I want you to imagine that we're all on one sporting team, a big football team. That would be a really good football team, by the way. We would be massive. Let's just imagine all of us on the same team. And then we come up on our sideline and we got all our pads. We practicing. We've been sweating. We come to game day and we look across the field to the other team, our opponents. And somebody comes up to you and nudges you. Hey, did you know that they want to beat us? And you go, really? They, 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 want, to, they want to tackle me? They want, to, they want to hurt me? They want to take the football from me? Now that's just not very nice. 
nobody in their right mind would go into a sporting event or athletics having that mentality. Then why do we do that sometimes in life? We get up in the morning and think, why all the destruction? Why all the hatred? Why all the division? Why can't everybody just get along? Oh yeah, there's a war happening. And it's not over your possessions. It's not over your finances. So if, if you think because of this fasting and praying that God's been uh, just exposing some things, if, if you can just take a look over this past few days, this past week, and you think spiritual warfare is happening on your car, spiritual warfare is happening on your finances, spiritual warfare is happening on your house, let me just tell you something about Satan's endeavors. He doesn't care about your house. He doesn't care about your land. He doesn't care about your money. But he's going to attack the very thing that's attached to your heart so you got to look at if you react in some oh man I can't believe this happened that's probably somewhat of a value that God wants to take and say hey what if you valued me what if you just trusted in my sovereignty then what would happen instead of this is Genesis 50 instead of uh, what Satan meant for evil God would turn into good what would happen for the destruction or the, the finances or the house or the problems or the repairs that you have then what would your response would be like hey thank you I appreciate that. Thank you. Satan's like, what? What do you mean thank you? I thank you because my car needs to go in the shop. Now I need to coordinate with my wife. I can just talk to her more. Now I can ride with her in the car. Now I can, uh, we are a one car family for like a week. This is amazing. Now we can simplify. It's going to be chaotic. It's going to be a little more effort. That's okay. But now we can actually coordinate our schedule and simplify. And I can get into, uh, my car can get into the local mechanic. So I can bless the local places around here. I can financially give to them. They, their job security is based on me and my car breaking down. I'm glad that I can contribute to that again. And you thank them for every single moment. You meant it for harm. I'm going to turn it into good. And I'm going to praise you like Job did when you give and when you take away. This, this is what Satan doesn't want. He doesn't want you to believe that God is sovereign over all things and that you are just a seeing his hand and his move. But let me tell you something about Satan because we're talking about him uh, in 1 Peter 5. Let, let me just give you the reference. Satan is described through this series that we're talking about as a lion. This is what, this is what Peter says from experience. He says, listen, Satan is like a, a roaring lion seeking someone to devour you. So he starts up at the very top. Be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. When you have right perspective, you can have right living. When you think about things right, it sets you free to right living. The transformation of your life begins with transformation of your mind. He said, be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, your opponent, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion seeking someone to hug. Just making sure you're you're following along. Say what? I was right now. Satan wants to hug you. He does? You're taking notes. You're, Wait a minute. 